The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and this week I have two very cool co-hosts with me. Nate Heininger and Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Inscription. That's Inscription with a Y. And this game has been tearing up Twitter and everything. Uh, This is the latest game from Daniel Mullins, who's essentially a solo developer. I'm sure he had some collaborators on parts of this, but but this is a very singular work from a singular developer. Um, If you remember way back, I don't even know, it was like 2015 or something, like very early days for the show, uh, we covered a game called Pony Island. Uh, this is the same developer as that. Pony Island was a game in which you are uh, essentially playing from the inside of a cursed arcade game that's nominally about ponies, but really is a prison that you've been placed into by the devil himself. Uh, truly a wild game full of third wall breaking. Classic story, right? We've all been... Who, who among us hasn't been trapped in an arcade game by the devil himself? Uh, and he also had a game a few years ago that I haven't played uh, called The Hex, which is a... Seems, from what I understand, to be a kind of point-and-click adventure game murder mystery starring a bunch of video game characters. And from what I understand, it also goes highly meta. Uh, with lots of uh, cool video gamey stuff. But Inscription seems to have completely hit in a way that neither of those two games previously has. Uh, and it's so interesting that we broke our usual approach of not trying to do a bunch of one thing in a row. This is a deck builder, a roguelike deck builder. And yes, I know we just did Monster Train, but when we tried this out, we absolutely had to do an episode on it. I really pushed for this game on the show, and I think the main reason is because it gives me what I never, ever get on this show, which is an opportunity to talk about Magic the Gathering. You see, when Richard Garfield invented Magic the Gathering, he brought with it a a, a system, right? When, when you create a game around collecting cool cards. Why wouldn't you just play the best cards first? And so Magic the Gathering's innovation was a resource system that said you can play the weak cards first and the strong cards later. I can't believe Reagan hasn't cut me off yet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the point here I was saying you're like, to is like, innovations is in that space are rare. Oh my God. it's it's entirely serious i have a lot to say on the subject of cost in this game but uh i i i I was intentionally trying to get reagan's goat and i'm just surprised he sat there and let me do it (laughs) look you you know what what this this is is an episode that i I, i know my place i know my place here right i know that we're talking about a a deck building roguelike uh i talked about this on the monster train episode this is not my genre uh, this has grabbed me more than maybe any one of those ever, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why on this episode, uh, but before we get too far into it, there's a couple of things I want to hit right off the bat. We are doing two episodes on Inscription. Um, we have done that only a handful of other times, the most uh, memorable of which was when we talked about Undertale, 
Um, and uh, this is not a coincidence, but it's also, this is a game that there's, uh, it's so worth not spoiling the things that are spoilers that we are putting the spoilers in their own entire separate episode. Uh, also, the part of this game that we can consider functionally not spoilers is so good that it bears an entire episode on its own. So what we're going to be talking about today is Inscription, the game as marketed on the box. You know, if you go to the Steam page, we're talking about the game that you see there. Uh, and there is nothing in this episode that will be considered spoilers, uh, but we're going to be talking about uh, the gameplay, the cards, the wild puzzles, the weird setting, the lore. There's a lot to talk about uh, in this episode. And we're not going to give any of whole... the solutions to the puzzles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think we are going to talk about the tactical side of this game, which mm -hmm. I think is great and really fascinating. Surprisingly good. Yeah. But we're not, yeah. and I think we can reference like some of the, I think it's unavoidable to reference some of the, some of the puzzles because this game has a really interesting interplay between really unusually different game styles and ways of telling a story and interacting with a game. And um, it's going to be kind of fun to uh, kind of skirt that. If you can't tell by our voices, and our exuberance to talk about this game. Um, we all absolutely loved this. It's going to be challenging to talk about it in a way that um, doesn't at least spoil even some of the the twists and and uh, you know wow moments that you experience even early in this game. So uh, if if you are a fan of this show and like the types of games that we like, um, not even necessarily if you like deck builders. Um, you should check this game out and then come back to these episodes. We're going to do our best not to spoil it, but even just getting past this moment is going to be some degree of spoiling for how this game works. But um, we, I think we're going to repeat a lot of stuff about yeah. why we uh, like it. All, all that game. said, there is still so much to talk about yeah. before we get yeah. into anything that we're going to consider spoilers. Um, and, uh, and even if you chopped off all of that stuff that we're vaguely hinting at right now, there's still a fantastic game here. And that's yep. what we're talking about today. And it's, a hundred percent worth talking about. So I can't wait to talk about that stuff. And I can't, can't wait to talk more in. Well, let's start talking about it. Inscription. Yes. Let's do it. So Shane, why did you make me play this? <laughs> um, basically the, the reason I was drawn to this was that the basic thing that I saw when you see this game on screen for the very first time is it looks like you're sitting down to play a card game in a dark and kind of spooky cabin. And in this cabin, you sit down at a table across from a pair of glowing eyes hidden in the darkness. The look of this artistically is uh, very retro horror. It's kind of like a um, PS2 era uh, kind of creepy room, you know, fairly low polygon, but very, you know, spooky looking, very cool. The the thing about the look that that I thought of when I saw it was it it is real time 3D but a lot of things in this game look to me like like the seventh guest or something like that where it's like creepy mm -hmm. environments rendered in 3D uh, but with a sort of a filter that makes them look sort of like the old school um, you know pre render but it, it is in fact fully 
uh, fully you know, real time rendered. Yeah, and a lot like just a lot of things are bones that you wouldn't normal that wouldn't normally be bones. You know, bit like <laughs> big old old scale. You know, that has bones on it, like teeth and shit everywhere. Like just a lot of really um, natural horror, if that makes sense. Uh, so the the you sit down across from this this unseen uh presence and it basically says you know you know welcome back um you know let, it seems like you haven't played in a long time maybe i can refresh your memory with some of the rules and the game plays out and we're while we're still talking kind of about start stylistically what what hit me there at the start the there's a lot of games out there that have tried different ways of showing a card game. You know, card we've we just talked about Monster Train, where the card game is represented by a bullet train through hell. But in this game, it's 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 eschewing very far in the direction of just sitting down across from another player across a table. A lot of games have tried a look where you to some extent, emulate sitting down across an actual table from a card game opponent. This game is doing that, and it's going pretty far in that direction. There, so you you can literally lean into the table and look over your hand or look ahead at some of the other cards on the table. And there's also some of this classic roguelike element, and this is present basically all of these, some kind of node-based map where you're making choices about where you go. That's roguelikes for you and what is really unique about this one is that pretty quickly he asks you to get up from the table and go bring him something i think it's the candlestick yeah and that's the moment where you realize oh this is not just a game this is the the stylistic elements this is an environment that i can explore a game within a game mhm it's very <laughs> yeah um, because that room is full, is covered in different things. There's a first thing, of course, I tried was to leave. You know, you can't leave. Um, and I, I don't know if anyone noticed this, but the the door actually has stats on it that look like a card, <laughs> very subtly. But uh, I did not notice that. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm not sure if that's part of a puzzle. I think there's a puzzle I haven't solved with that. But uh, oh my there god, are that's lots awesome. of puzzles try that. in this game. And the the room itself is uh, it's as you walk around the room, um, you're kind of locked in. This is another place where it reminds me of that older era of games because your viewpoint is locked. You're not freely walking around like in an FPS. You're clicking around and moving more or less like something like uh, uh, reminded me of how you'd navigate around in something. Um, what's the name of that game? Like, Mist, like a right? first person. Yeah. Yeah. Mist, or like a first person dungeon crawler. Puzzly. that does the sort of locked to uh, cardinal directions views. You can turn 90 degrees in, in any direction and you can walk forward or backward, um, mm-hmm. which is like restrictive, but also sort of plays into the, the sort of, this is this, this has a very modern look, you know, but it also is dripping with retro as well. Uh, things like that locked in uh, cardinal direction movement or the sort of low poly that some things are actually quite detailed, 
but some things are presented in it. Like for example, when he spreads out the map, uh, it's, it has a, a look that sort of straddles a line between, um, paper craft and low poly small models. Um, and then there's the sort of, uh, over top of all of this, there's a sort of a low resolution CRT filter. Uh, it's not particularly overdone. You can kind of ignore it most of the time, but if you look closely at things, everything does have this look as if you're looking at it on, uh, an old display. Um, so it's, it's like a really well done combination of things that manages to add to the sort of unsettling horror nature of this setting. Yeah. Um, while also being like a video gamey kind of thing, you know, it, it's definitely trying to nod to, uh, you know, older games, but it, this also, it, so many games like do retro by basically like completely emulating something that some old game, the game designer, like this, this is, you know, it's clearly like taking inspiration from older stuff. But like, I cannot tell you, uh, uh, this is so, this is so unique. It is not yeah. like, like, I can't tell you what, like, this is not, this is not aping anything. I it's, did not it's entirely unique. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was playing any other game at really at any point while playing this, even the, the, the deck building game that we're going to talk about here, uh, in depth a little bit, like there's a couple key mechanics that make it feel very different than any other deck building game that I've played. And, uh, between Shane and I, we've played most of them. And this one, uh, has a, has a very unique spin on it, but, um, back on the, on the directional thing about, uh, that you're talking about, I think also it serves, uh, some purpose in the game too, because the cabin is not big. Um, but there's a lot of detail and there's a lot of little puzzles spread throughout that we're going to talk about. And, I think keeping you locked in on this, almost on these rails where you can only look and defined situ, uh, defined directions also serves a purpose of presenting these puzzles to you in almost like a perfectly designed tableau. You know, you walk up to a puzzle and you are going to see it from exactly the direction that was intended. Whereas if this was like a full, you know, you can walk around in a full control that might not be great for some of the puzzles in this game. And also I think you might end up spending a lot of time just walking around, looking at things that are unimportant. And so this allows you to stay focused on what's available. Um, there's really just, you, you look around and you have your, your, your mouse pointer and there's just interact they expand on what interact means a lot, but there's really just one click. So like the rules of the game and the rules of the, of your like existence in the game are very simple. And then they just stack complexities from a puzzle standpoint on top of it. And it's, it's really, really effective. Um, I really liked that, that approach, the, the locked in nature of it. I think we can kind of move from that simplicity there to the card game itself, because that's yes. what really drew me yeah. in and kept me in because as members of this podcast know, I love magic. Um, I love card games. I love seeing different things done in card games. This plays with a space that's always been in this kind of game, but has never been the main focus. And that's the focus of sacrifice. The it, it, It's actually worth mentioning that inscription is in many, many ways, a evolution or a expansion 
of another game that was called Sacrifices Must Be Made. And that was in Ludum Dare 43. Do I, have a, I never know if I'm saying that right. This was back in 2018. So it's been a few years, been like three years. And no, four years. It's been a while. Uh, count. Uh, hang on. It's been a while since Ludum Dare. <laughs> so that, since that, since that, I was trying to say this in a way that I don't sound like I can't count, don't know what, to, what year, what year is it? Um, can you edit me, please? All right. Just move, Pat. Just move on. Nope. Keep, I'm just going to keep it all in. Go ahead. No. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, this version of the game is a big expansion on that. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's very similar in, in what you're actually seeing, especially at first, which is the card game element here is kind of locked in on four lanes where you're playing your cards. And as I tried to rile Reagan up, uh, the, you know, every card game has kind of a resource to it. And like I said, with magic, the resource is mana that you get from lands and those lands are your cards. And you, you know, you're drawing both lands and spells out of your deck or creatures. And in games like Hearthstone, the same thing is true, but a lot of games tend to play around with this and usually they're simplifying it in some way. With a game like Hearthstone, people who might be familiar with that, you get a resource from these little crystals and you get one more every turn. And these are all basically answering that question of like, why aren't you playing the big stuff first, right? And this game, the only resource is one that's usually secondary or, you know, distant uh, from the from the main thing is the idea of sacrificing your own creatures because in this deck you have in this game you have two decks of cards one of them is the cool creatures that you have added to your deck intentionally and then the second deck is full of free squirrels and you can play you can draw a squirrel or you can draw a card and if you draw a squirrel you can play it for free but it doesn't do anything and if you play another creature, anything at all, you have to sacrifice that squirrel. Or more than just a squirrel. Oh, yes. Because everything can be, sac- nearly everything can be sacrificed. All your creatures can be sacrificed. Your best cards often require two, three, or even four sacrifices to play, meaning you are going to wipe your entire board to play the most powerful creatures. Uh, and it really adds to this creepy element of the game before you uh, sacrifice a creature. It gets a like, it's not a pentagram, but it's, uh, you know, it's like a pentagram style, you know, icon. That, spooky like, inscription symbol. <laughs> yeah. That like goes over it. Some of the cards are animated and we'll be like, start shaking and be like, no, 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 no. You know, before you <laughs> sacrifice it. Yep. Yeah. Some of the cards are actually characters. The variety on the cards is incredible. But the thing about that that really got me is that it is a really tight dial. The idea of a dial in the design of kind of cards in this kind of game, or in general, like any kind of game design, is like, what is the thing that you can turn that makes something stronger or weaker, right? And in this kind of game, it's usually the cost, right? Because the big, strong stuff has a high cost. And in this game, because you can only ever have four things for creatures out at all because there are four lanes and you fill four of them with creatures the cost can only ever be five different things zero to four and that kind of actually got me i was like wow this is going to be easy to break 
Because in general, if you have that kind of a core mechanic that's that tight, like you can break it really fast. <laughs> but this game not only like <laughs> leans into yep. the fun of breaking it hard, it's entirely conscious of how easy it, yeah. and how fun yeah. it is to break a game like this. And the game itself starts off broken. So it feels yeah. fun and engaging the whole time. It's really nice. So I want really Shane, cool Shane, design. I want you to explain what you mean by breaking the game. Because like that's a term people yeah. use a lot when we're talking about video games, but like that's not a bad thing here. Uh like a no. broken game can sometimes be an incredibly fun can, thing. Sorry, Nate, you've got something to say. Just one point to throw I, I wanna, in. Too I want to respond to that exactly. Uh, yes, for sure. I just want to throw in one one quick point. Um there is a secondary currency uh, which ties into this, which is that every time a creature dies, you don't you even get, get that in the first run. Is that not in the first run? The, well, yeah, you know, that, in the that first little, run, that's not yeah. unlocked. Each each run uh, you do okay. unlocks more things. Which this is a game that is uh, in deep, deep ways designed to evolve as you as you play it. Yeah, so there is yeah. a okay. there's a, a mechanical evolution to it. But the bones are, I think, the second run. Uh, the I think you get items in the first run, but you get new items as it goes on. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that do change. I just wanted to add it that you get their bones when they die too. Uh, <laughs> you know, which which yes. uh, adds to it. But Shane, please go back to uh, go back. It's to, very uh, thematic. To how... You're using every yeah. part of the it buffalo, is. and that's another thing <laughs> yeah. that I really liked about this is like you're 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 using every uh, every element of the of the death of these creatures, yeah. um, and just to key off of that, the the thing that I really liked about the um, uh, the death element <laughs> is that uh, a lot of the thing about bones is it's really this is a bit of a magic sidebar, but it's tied to this really I already knew totally broken mechanic in magic, which is using cards in your graveyard, which is cards that have died as a resource, right? And the bones are basically you get one for everything that died, and I was like, that's delve. That's the delve keyword, and that broke standard uh, for for a year. So I know that this is <laughs> we, Shane. We this all is know. Be something I can we, to. we all, we all know, know delve broke, broke anyway. the standard. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, all of us, all of us were. I there mean, it's for no that, affinity. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Shane. Shane's just gonna. I'm, I'm just. Uh, <sighs> Shane, I'm going to require that you buy me a bell. All right, <laughs> that I'm just going to ring every time you say. A There's a spooky thing. bell in this Speaking game. Of bells, <laughs> yeah, the spooky <laughs> bell. It's like a hotel ding bell, uh, yeah. like uh, mm, like you have love to it. announce love that you ended your turn. It's the incredibly tactile nature of this game. I want to talk about those elements as well. Because yeah, yeah, we'll talk well, about those mechanics in a bit. But yeah. Shane, I want to I want you to explain like when you talk about this game, what's letting broken? you break it, like what's broken, how, and you know maybe we talk about a couple specifics. But I mean, it, it, a lot of games use the term in 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 Magic. Uh, magic has a lot of specific slang. So when I say broken for a game like this, I mean that it's uh, that there are cards that are super super overpowered and strong right there are there are there are ways that you can synergize or put things together in such a way that you have built an unbeatable thing you know that is going to steamroll the game that's what that's what breaking the game is but this is a game that knows you're going to do that gives you lots of ways to do it do it encourages it and turns it against you right and Absolutely loved that element of it. 
Um, speaking of slang, um, I, I, I was taking little notes every time there was, they dropped a piece of magic slang in this game top, in the writing. Top deck. And there were a lot yeah. of little, a lot of little Easter eggs. Yeah. They're yeah. Top deck, scoop, uh, you know, value. Uh, there's a chump. Chump blocking. Chump, car, yeah. chump blocking. Yeah. This game is so forward and you breaking it it lets you put your name on it <laughs> you get to yeah, put absolutely. uh you know yeah this, this uh, is this is yeah yeah that's so there's, that's there's the, an important the, mechanics the left to talk cards. about we need to talk about uh the the way that this game handles lives and shane i'll, I'll go ahead and explain this um but you know you, you probably can can correct me if i am uh misusing any magic the gathering terminology um so there's a couple other things about this game that are very, very unique. The way that it handles li- life points, I've never seen before in a game like this. Shane, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's, you know, a cool Magic: The Gathering inspired CCG that you've played for hundreds of hours that does exactly this, and I'm just an idiot for not knowing about it. But this game, rather than just having a standard pool of lives like every other game like this I've played, where you know, you know, both players start with ten lives or whatever, and you have to. Uh, uh, you know, do damage directly to your opponent rather than to their creatures in order to do it. Very in that way, that the the way that you attack your opponent in this game is very very similar to Magic: The Gathering, right? Like Magic: The Gathering, you've each got um, creatures very or spells different. that do damage. Um, totally different. And they can do. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, well, okay, Shane, Shane, Shane. It's 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 similar enough. Okay, for my purposes here, in that you you have ways of attacking, and those attacks can either go against your opponent's creatures or if there's no blocker, uh, they that damage goes directly against the opponent. Um, in the same way as Magic: The Gathering, don't correct me. Uh, and but in this game, when you do damage to your opponent, you're putting the game has this very physical cool. Another way this game does totally physical stuff on the table is a scale, the sort of old school scale with two uh, counterbalanced. Like a, like a scales of justice, you know, think of, think of that yeah. only it's covered in bones and teeth. Bones. <laughs> um, and the teeth thing gross. You, every time you do a point of damage, it places a, uh, a tooth on your opponent's side. Um, and so you can see where the balance is between the two of you. And, you know, if you might do 10 points of damage to your opponent, well, actually, I think that, you know, it starts in the midpoint. There's five to either side with a total spread of 10, right? Yeah. So you, right. you, you um, can never deal 10. I think the... Right. Uh, well, the mo- you, you can deal like, more than 10, but if you, if you deal uh, enough to push the scales all the way to your opponent's side, they lose, which is the difference here uh, in... In in magic, the objective is to reduce your opponent's life total to zero from twenty, and here it's to push the scale all the way over. So there's a lot of back and forth, and yeah. the exactly damage is effectively healing you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So like it's it's about pushing that scale. So every time you put a, uh, a, a you know a tooth on the scale on their side, it's not only getting closer to their death, but it's giving you extra space. Uh, to take potentially additional damage. So, you know, if you're in a game where you're really going tit for tat, it stay, you know, it might stay totally centered on the scale. Um, but if you can do like five plus points of damage all at once, even if it's sort of, you know, first turn or whatever, then you can win if you can just do that once and really throw the scale. 
Uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It's also like so intuitive. Like it's it, that would be that would be such a nightmare to manage in reality. But like the visual of the scale is like such. It's it makes immediate sense. Well, it, it's instead of a race to zero, it's this push pull feeling that like it just feels more dramatic to me. Like um, unless you have healing in most games, your health that's reduced is is just gone. Um, and this you know you can get most of it back. You can do those sort of calculations um, you know, pretty quickly. This is another – this is becoming pretty standard at this point in these games where you have complete information about what's about to happen to you. Uh, so you can see what cards are about to hit, how much they're going to hit for, and what your cards are going to do and what they're going to hit for. So you can sit there and say like, all right, I know my cards are going to do three damage – but then I'm going to be responded with four. So that's a net negative one. Let me look at the scale. Can I withstand one point of damage? Yes, I can. All right, I'll survive this round. Um, or I know I'm going to do four points of damage uh, and you get to go first. So as long as you get to it's ultimately it's like plus five, it's five over the median is what will will end the game. Uh, you know, if you can hit that point, um, you can go all out on a turn and just end it right there. Um, but it's always this little micro math, which most deck builders have at this point. You're you're mentally calculating plus and minus. Um, but because of the overall tone and that physical scale, I really thought this was a, a besides a a cool mechanic for health management, it was very thematic that it's like you see the person on the other side. They hit you, you hit them, they hit you. You're you're balancing these scales back and forth. And every time, clink, 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 that those the teeth dropping. Uh, I talked about un, uh, in unpack unpacking last week about the the foley, like this game is right there with it, with like that sound. Every sound that this game makes feels so physical and so good. And that clink, 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 clink of the teeth going in is is phenomenal. <sighs> Yeah. A little detail about that, that, you know, th- this game has tons of things like that, like the bone tokens and the teeth. Um, and it does this really great way of just sort of like, you know, let's say you, you get a bunch of of bone tokens. And the first thing I'm thinking of, which are uh, are an item that, you know, a resource that comes up later in the game, it just sort of drops them in an unordered pile. And it can be difficult. It, it, first of all, that's very cool looking, right? It feels like, you know, like you're sitting at a table. Real um, physical. Object. But of course. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there's little physics on them when they drop them. But of course, there's the the challenge of I might need to know how many bone tokens I have and they're in an unordered pile. And you can kind of click on them and the game does this sort of also very physical clinking sort where it just snaps all of those bone tokens as if an invisible hand had very quickly sorted them into piles yeah. for you to count them. And that is just like cool. As a former blackjack dealer too, that was very satisfying. Just like blink, 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 blink. Mm-hmm. Um I uh, say back on. I can't get off these teeth. Um, <laughs> if you if you deal uh, if you deal more damage than is necessary, um, it the overkill will overkill damage. Yeah, yeah, it does overkill damage. And you a little the 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 person you're playing against you holds out a little bowl, and all the excess teeth get dropped into the bowl, and you start to collect them, which are used for a thing, um, and. If you have a lot of teeth already because you've been doing a lot of overkill 
damage. He holds out a bowl full of teeth and they like rattle around in there. And then all these teeth fall down on top of it. And if your bowl is so full, first of all, the sound changes to sound to have the sound of like teeth falling Uh. on teeth, which who doesn't (laughs) love that sound? Uh, and then they'll like <laughs> splash out and like sp- and fall all over the table and there'll be like the sound of teeth hitting the table and it just everything is so physical it's so creepy and and good it's so cool yeah <laughs> I, and in the mechanical side of that particular interaction is cool also because uh the the teeth are a resource in the game they're your life points but they're also something that you can spend outside of you know in the kind of long game and um, overkill damage is used in like several different cool ways. Uh, th- this is kind of this might be a little too nitty gritty here, but what you talked about earlier uh, around how um, you have perfect information and how that's getting common in this game is very common, and it's really important in games like this one where creatures that are put onto the board um, can attack the turn that they are played. Because if you if you have creatures that are put onto the board and can attack the turn that they're played, um, then it becomes really easy for the player to kind of get get screwed, right? They didn't know something was coming in. A big thing comes in and like knocks them out that they couldn't have avoided, right? So um, in a lot of games, things can't deal damage until they've been around at least long enough for you to have a turn to deal with them. Um, but this game puts them into this back line, right? Where they are kind of, you've got the, you have four cards, your opponent has, you have four spaces for cards, four um, lanes, I guess. The opponent has four lanes, uh, but the opponent has a back line that is the cards that are coming out next turn that they're going to play. But you can actually interact with that by, if you deal enough damage to the creature in front, the creature in back that hasn't been played yet can actually be hit and killed. Yeah, and it's another way where you are more powerful than the person that you're playing against, uh, and and that there's a, there's a number of ways that you are more powerful um, than the than the person you play against, and, and um, similar to what what Shane is talking about with like how that how you the, this game knows you can break the game. What I thought was really interesting is that the way you get the way you get good at most of these games is a combination of unlocking cards that were not available when you first started the game and uh, also just understanding the mechanics. This game is not that different from any of the other ones. Like, as we've already talked about, you're unlocking some more things as you go along. But uh, it's not the standard thing where, like, oh, there, you know, the, the magic ring card wasn't available to you until you got 45 experience points and now you've unlocked the magic ring card and that may be available in the deck going forward, you are more physically adding cards to your deck either by solving puzzles or by creating them yourself through an interesting mechanic. So you have more control over what your long-term deck looks like than most of these games where you're just adding pre-created cards to it. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And and you are getting better by understanding the game more, but it's not that complicated. The, the deck builder 
the yeah. the the actual creation and insertion of cards is what really makes you get stronger and better and better which is so I want to make one point about this here and that, that like I I've said this many times like deck building roguelikes are not really my big uh genre um and the like strategy layer of those is somewhat daunting for me a lot of the time um this game walks an incredible line where it is mechanically interesting and complex enough that Shane enjoys it. Um, but it is willing to let me cheese it or, or, or get by with my limited understanding and strategic brain uh, for me. Um, this is, I think a game that is willing to meet you wherever you are on roguelike deck builders or collectible card games or whatever that, you know, whatever you're into, because like, this game explains itself. It gives you lots of ways to cheese. So if you figure out something that works it, and you and you just want to press on through because you're you're not here for the card game uh uh you know strategy, you're here for the immaculate horror vibes, the uh weird lore, the spooky, creepy, mysterious setting. You want to know more about what's going on with this this creepy cabin and the puzzles and everything if you're here for that and you're not here for the strategy this game is going to meet you where you are but if you are here for the strategy this game has a really interesting strategic layer that brought me in more than most of these games typically do so yeah i'm yeah it's 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 really it's it's able to be more things to more people than most of these games are which i think is a real uh a real accomplishment for this game and this is all because the card game is serving a larger purpose than just a deck building roguelike. Right. Yes. And, and that allow it, it almost by necessity needs to have multiple different ways to be successful in this game, either by being a strategic master and being really good at deck building card, uh, card games, or, figuring out the right way to essentially break it and just destroying the game because we've already talked about a little bit, but I want to dig in a little bit more on this. I think this is a good segue to talk about the cabin and more about like what, what the broader goal of this game is, which just seems to be to get out of this cabin, right? It's like, okay, so this is, this is a bad analogy, but I feel like I have to say it anyway. Like the thing that I kept thinking about when I played this game is like, um, it's been many years since I've seen it, but have you ever seen the Ingmar Bergman movie, The Seventh Seal, where The Seventh the, Seal, um, yes. The knight is sitting down on a beach and playing chess with death, right? Um and like it's like it's it's a bit like that, right? Where you're like you're sitting down and you're playing a game against this malevolent, terrifying figure. But you know, here's the thing. Like the the in that scene chess is not the most interesting thing right but that doesn't mean chess is a bad game <laughs> like chess <laughs> works but it's like it's like that you are sitting down to play uh magic the gathering against satan himself in his creepy snuff cabin um and like that's super fascinating but yeah. also yep. the magic the gathering is pretty good too like <laughs> wild I would Wild. love to talk more about why. I, so the the thing I want to say about the game itself, because you you progress the game, right? You can progress the game by beating the card game, and you can get good at co- the card game by 
playing the card game and figuring out how all the different rules work and the different interactions between the different abilities and things like that. Um, or you can uh, try to work your way through the puzzles. And there's tons of interplay. So the biggest piece, place that there's interplay is um, the cabinet puzzles, which are basically puzzles that are little slider puzzles that use the rules of the card game. And if you can show, I know the rules of the card game, I know what's going to happen, uh, then you can unlock these doors to get things that progress the, you know, well, progress the entire game holistically, the card yeah. game and more things that key you into more puzzles. Um, and you can stand anytime you're between actual games. Like if you're at the map, you can just stand up and interact with the whole room and solve these puzzles. But the main thing you're doing, the focus always is drawn back to the table, come back to play another hand. And when you're doing that, the progress in this game is much less building a really synergistic, optimized deck, like a lot of these kinds of deck building games do. And it's much more focused on creating synergistic cards because an enormous part of the game is bringing your deck to these different places, like, for example, a sacrificial altar where you can sacrifice one card to another and take the sigils from one card and apply them to another. And it keeps the cost the same. It destroys the the sacrificed card, but it takes that one ability and it applies it to the other to the other card. And that is how you progress. You you create cards that themselves are just flat out steamroller wrecking ball <laughs> insanity. Um and in order to successfully do this, you have to really understand the sigils. And that's why I kind of want to get into sigils. I want to go through yeah, let's talk sigils. That's a good place for us to go. Top next. and bottom sigils. We can't talk about them all. There's no. There's at least 30 or so sigils that you are going to see right off the top. There's actually a book is it that, that you is can it that pick many? up in the cabin that defines all all of them and uh and um so I want to talk about some of the top ones, some of the most common ones, and uh, some of the things that I think are traps. Because in any game like this, there are some things that seem really good that aren't. And some things that don't seem that interesting or good, and then suddenly you realize how to use them in a totally broken way, and then you're like, this is my favorite thing ever. Yep. Absolutely. So I have some, uh, I have some traps that I think might be controversial. I want to see what you guys think. Flying. Flying is a trap. Really? Well, I guess I see what you mean. Yeah, because like, so flying works just the same as it does in Magic the Gathering. You know, nope. it, when you, when you're, <laughs> nope. you gotta stop. Yes, it does. It nope. works functionally. No, it does not. No, because it, it flyers, does it. Enough block for flyers. Flying yeah. in this game just means unblockable. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, Jay Scott, all these fighter fucking points. Shane, it, the 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 at its core, the no, it's so important because you can is, only put out four <laughs> creatures and you choose which creatures you put in front of the opponent's creatures, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yes, it's not like right, magic okay. where I can say I attack with all my guys and you get to assign the blockers and decide who blocks what, right? If you have a creature that can block <laughs> a flyer, like you have to put it in front of a flyer, otherwise, like who gives a shit, right? So in yeah. this game. Flying just means, okay, I can get my damage through, but then on the opponent's turn, they're going to attack and the flyer is just going to block, right? So mm -hmm. both of these things are just there to mess up combat. When I say both, I, I should say there's really two abilities. They're very, I think, closely linked. There's flying, which means your opponent's creature can't block it. And there's waterborne, which means that your opponent's creature can't hit it. And there's a card called the Kingfisher that has both. And being afraid of the Kingfisher was one of my first big mistakes because the Kingfisher actually sucks. So 
<laughs> well, th- this is usually balanced by the fact is that they don't do high damage. Um, they'll do maybe mm-hmm. one or two points of damage. And yeah, I agree. I, I, I thought that flying seemed super powerful because you can just go straight to face. Um, but like they are often because they have low damage, they also often have low health. So what it very often ends up being is that you get one clean attack on the, uh, you know, on, on the opponent's health directly. And then they're probably going to die on the next turn unless you have some way of um, stopping that. Uh, now, flying in mass, though, there is an item that can give all of your creatures flying for one turn. That can be super strong if you have a lot of high damage creatures. You pop them up all in the air and you just end the fight right there. But any just individual wait. creature with, yeah, any individual creature with flying is more like a pester for low damage than any sort of board control or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you want isn't always just to not, is to deal damage directly to the opponent, because if you don't deal damage to the creatures that are on the board, on the next turn, those creatures are going to hit you. And that trade, give, giving up that trade off, basically sharing a health bar with your enemy. Uh, means that if you're just hitting each other with evasive creatures, it's just swinging back and forth, you know? So that's one. Uh, A few other things that I think are traps uh, or just garbage. Death touch. Death touch seems really good. You you really want it to work, but where does it work best? It works best on things that have one attack. And if you are, if you are putting cards in your deck that attack for just one damage, you're going to have real slow, real swingy, real grindy games, uh, and you're going to have a harder time closing the deal. Shane, the, the card that I think is the biggest trap is the um, is the trap card. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, there is a trap. That's The trap <laughs> card is one that has a sigil uh, that uh, you actually can't get on your own cards. That's one of the yeah. special okay. boss mechanics. But that, <laughs> that, is, uh, that is a... A sweet card, actually. I wish you could get uh, traps. (laughs) I wish you could get it, too. So, um, Shane, any tips on, uh, without getting into full spoiler territory, do you think there's any any tips that you can provide uh, to new players on things that are uh, broken or awesome or otherwise uh, interesting synergies that aren't immediately apparent? You gave me some good advice. I, I, we can talk about just some of the cards. So first off, you should know there are cards that are common and there are cards that are rare, right? And the cards that are rare, uh, you get from like special boxes and they have little squiggly lines on them to show that they're more super than the other ones. Um, so some of these abilities are things you'll see on more rare cards. Before, really, without getting too much into the specifics of these kinds of cards and stuff, like I said, you're sacrificing the cards to, like, stick them together. And there's actually several different ways you can kind of take two cards and, like, make a single card that's combined. You know, sacrificing them on the altar. Uh, there's these, like, mushroom guys that, like, literally cut the cards up and staple them together. It's um, gross. I love that. I love that so much. Like the whole thing of like, (laughs) you take two identical cards, which is usually one of those things where like, oh, well, I'm just gonna have to cut one of these from my deck because I'm starting to get too many of these guys. And they literally just stitch two of them together into a more powerful. It's so that's such a fun. Yeah, it's so much more fun than like typical deck builder shit shit where you're just like, well, I got to, you know, discard one of these. I love that. A big part of building uh, like being of winning in this game is making cards that are 
really strong by putting the strong keywords on to creatures that actually have a high attack and defense value, right? Um, and ideally a low cost because, again, the cost, you know, four is the highest that the cost can be, but that is almost impossible to hit, right? You really want stuff that costs yeah. nothing or maybe one one sacrifice, ideally. And some things that really do start to break the game is really anything that uh, gives you uh, more cards, right? So there are a lot of these. You you can keep an eye out for them, but my favorite ability in the game is one called uh, like Field Mice. The Field Mice card, oh, yeah. it's a 2-2 it's a two -two that costs two sacrifice, which is terrible in this game. And... Uh, but it has an ability that says, well, when you play this card, you get another copy of it back into your hand, right? So that on literally any good card is like just good game. Like you, you're, you're going to win, right? So if you put that on a grizzly bear or you put that on a wolf, you're going to be a happy <laughs> camper, right? Um, the grizzly bears, the wolves, the high stats, no abilities. The most successful synergy I had in the game was, so there are, um, there are these sort of uh, wood carving things that you can collect throughout a run uh, that let you add a sigil to a particular type of animal card. And so like, you know, there's you, you, you get a head and a body to make this little totem and, it, you know, you apply a particular sigil to all of your uh, all of your, you know, dog type cards or all of your snake type cards yeah. or all of your insects by the way this and won't unlock also, it all until at least your third run so is that uh, is that right yeah. is it only a third it takes okay. so yeah. so when you get that then it and this is that's i guess one of the ways that the game is really like allowing you to like get more and more broken as you go along i found that like i i, I got i completed my first run on i think it was my fifth or sixth run which is like way lower than my typical average for one of these um the uh the most broken I ever got was the rabbit's sigil that Shane mentioned, which just lets you play as many that was as you the, can. I was talking about the, the squirrels. Field mice, which is different from the rabbits. Oh, the, the, the oh rabbits well, I forget which is which. Is also great uh, because it basically, when you play something that has rabbit on it, uh, it just gives you a rabbit card. But a rabbit card is always a zero one, uh, basically a squirrel. Um, the squirrels can do nothing but block would be sacrificed. Uh, but the, the field mice gives you a completely new copy of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it would basically be like first turn, I could lay out four, uh, squirrels, which meant that also first turn, I could sacrifice those four squirrels and play literally any card that could potentially come up in the game. Um, and that was the most broken it's ever, it was ever been. And it was just, um, it was so much fun though. Like once I, once I realized, Oh, crap can i really is it really gonna let me do this is it really gonna and there's so many times in this game where where you think like is the game really gonna let me do this there's no way and the answer is always yes you can always do it and it's it's amazing every time i had it the most this is i mean this was pretty deep in so i've been handcrafting this this moment but when it finally hit it was ridiculous i had a card that was zero cost seven attack seven health it had trifurcated attack, means it, meaning it attacks three times. It attacks to the left, it attacks to the center, and it attacks to the right. And I gave it flying. Now, I agree with Shane that flying is not the best. But for this, that meant 
the, no matter when I play it, it's dealing 21 damage to, uh, <laughs> to the, uh, to the, you know, to the boss or to the, to the, to the, uh, your opponent. And you only need to Spread do across at- three different <laughs> lanes in your opponent's board. Yeah. But so if any of those lanes are open, that's basically a win. It's basically a win. And this had flying. So like it really had to be. Oh, it, yeah. It just hits every time. There's no. Yeah. It, and so as soon as I'd get this card in my deck, it was like, this is game over. And, and I also was doing a lot of effort to trim my deck to where I only had like six or seven cards in it in the first place. So I was first turn winning almost every fight, you know, and so it like completely broke the game. I to have a to degree interject, that was, this is why flying is a trap, because that card would have been great. Even if it didn't fly, any other sigil would have probably been better. Of right? course. Well, of course, of course. But uh, you're also well, playing with the tools that yeah, you're, you're playing with the tools that you have, right? Um, so so anyway, I, I give this extreme example to say that like you can get to the point where you have these cards that are just insanely overpowered. Like I I, I put a screenshot of it in our Discord where um I had a turn one play that I dealt 24 damage directly to the the opponent. So I, I got like that little bowl of teeth. They were flying everywhere, clink clanking across the table because 16, 16 teeth came out. And I, I got – you can buy those uh, – you can use those teeth to buy something later. And they dump them out onto the table. And I got to the, to the thing that you buy, the, uh, use the teeth to buy. I had like – 50 something teeth that just went that just went like (laughs) you know all over the table i was like i don't i actually didn't even spend that much because of you know game mechanic reasons but like it was just absurd the amount of teeth that i had uh I want to I want to say something else here though because like we're talking about how uh how many ways this game gives you to break it right um and uh even within the section of the game, like even, even within the fairly early game, you'll find ways to break it. And then the game will find some subtle way to pull the rug out from under you and say, ah, you had me, you had me beat, but now things are different. Um, and so this, this, you know, whether that's introducing new mechanics or, or, you know, new powerful bosses, bosses. Yeah. The bosses continually are seem designed to, uh, to stop particular, uh, broken approaches that you might have been playing so it's yeah. it's really really clever in that way like it, it it is continually letting you do things that seem like you're getting away with murder and then it's finding ways to like you know send you to jail anyway yeah and it's, my my uh my seven seven you know flying try attack thing i had it for that round or, or for that that run and it was op as hell but it's not guaranteed to be in your next turn. I think I actually lost like the next run I did after this like steamrolling dominant run. Uh, you know, I was not able to accomplish that perfect combo of things to create this crazy deck and I died, you know, so you can win in a lot of different ways. You're not always going to get these uh, insane combos that create these perfect synergies. Um, that is one fun outcome of this deck building game. And then there's also the more like skinnier teeth, uh, you know, edgier seat. Like you, you just got a, just the right combo of cards and you're really getting into the like 
more deck building of like adding up attacks and 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 balancing and, and really just getting by. Um, you get both of those experiences in this game, and like I, I can't think of another game that has had this high of highs when it comes to these like OP runs. Even in Slay the Spire, when you have like a fantastic deck that you're feeling good about. You know, you could die at any turn. One wrong thing, but um, there are sometimes in this game that are pure like power fantasy. <laughs> You're like, I have, I am a god with this seven seven, and I will collect all of the teeth. It's fantastic. And you're you're being really forced to um, do multiple runs, and so you, I think every player is kind of going to have a lot of those different various experiences that you can have in this kind of game, because I mean this fundamentally there are a lot of horror elements here so being on the back foot is an important feel it's an important vibe um and especially early on the game takes lots of pains to make sure that you are scraping by by the skin of your teeth but that said it is still possible to kick in those teeth and uh you know grab the bowl of teeth and win <laughs> even on the first run um but that is where that beautiful duality of the game comes in. Because even if you beat the game on the first run, which is entirely possible if you're just really uh, astute with cards, I didn't get it on the first run, uh, you have to also complete the puzzle elements. And you have to expand the game through that uh, to make it through the, the overall structure of the game. So the last thing I want to talk about before we uh, leave it here... And uh, because, again, we're doing a second episode where we're going to talk about all of the uh, the secretive depths of this game, the surprises that it holds in, you know, in store. Um, but before we do that, I, I, sticking to the area that we agreed is is uh, is spoiler safe. Um, are there any particular like moments that you guys found particularly uh scary or memorable or weird i I will say that the very first time that i died in this game that was my like oh this is we're going here because this is a game where each time you lose the roguelike the horrible shadowy presence that you're playing this game against hauls you into the back room of the cabin that you haven't seen before and takes your photograph uh, and then presumably kills you. And each time you're playing, you're playing as a new participant in this snuff experience. Um, <laughs> well, like it's it's a it's a brutal thing. And it is the creation of the death cards, which are, I guess, yeah. the last thing we can really talk about since we're s- sort of focused on this first run experience of the game. But at the when you die and you will die, um, these hands drag you into another room and he takes your picture. Uh, Oh, actually the picture is the third thing because first he asks you, he says, we're going to make a card and he asks you for, to look at three cards that were in your deck and pick one of them for the cost. Right. And remember that can be at least on the first run, it can just be zero to, um, to four, uh, blood, right? The blood is each sacri- each creature sacrificed to play it. And then you pick that, and then you pick the stats, which is the attack and the defense power from three of the different creatures in your deck. And then finally, um, you pick the sigil from one more creature or creatures in your deck. So you have 
this hybrid creature that you've created. And then he oh, asks Oh, and don't forget, you name. also get to put in its name. Yeah. Yes. Your, he says, what's your name? So you put your name on there or any name. You know, you can have dumb names if you uh, so choose. This is Oregon Trail, after all. Mine were all things like Luigi Mario. Mine were mostly versions of Nate. And then every once in a while when I would have like a run that I thought I was doing really well and I'd die, I'd be frustrated. The name would be like, ugh, or like, fuck you know like (laughs) yeah (laughs) little venting i think it's a really neat mechanic because it does sort of when you know it turns that failure your death into a a way of seeding your future runs with a a potentially extra broken thing that you know will uh will give you a Mm -hmm. little bit of an advantage the next time through i love that this is part of how the game steamrolls because the more you die the more of these hand-built cards enter into the game world. And by the time I was done, there were Nates all over, Nates and Uggs, <laughs> Nates, Uggs, and Fucks all over this board that were carrying me to victory. <laughs> the death card, finally he snaps your picture, right? And the picture is a little bit randomized. It's kind of like the token that's on the board. There's different tokens, there's different pictures. Um, if you have, uh, had certain things happen to you during the game, like, I don't think we even talked about the, uh, pliers. Well, so that I was, I was going to talk about that when that shows up on the picture, Reagan asked about uh, my uh, my last card that helps me through my big run. Uh, I also named after a piece of magic slang, which is mize, which, uh, just means a, a good unexpected thing. Usually a card that you pull off the top of your deck, top deck, a card anyway, this was my favorite card in the game because it was one of these instant win cards like Nate was talking about. It was like, it cost nothing. Uh, it uh, When I played it, it immediately returned to my hand uh, and it had like 2-2 two, two double strike. If you can just play a 2-2 two, two double strike every turn, yeah, you're just fine. You're just, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to do okay. You're in good shape. Every, everything's gravy after that. Um but uh, yeah, you. Sorry, I, I. Maybe that was a bit of a sidetrack. You were going to talk <laughs> about the that death experience and the other grim shit. Well, so re- yeah, Reagan, to answer your question, going to um, you know, creepy and weird things in this game. Uh, two really came. There, there's a ton, but two of them kind of first came to mind. First, Shane just mentioned it to a degree, but there's uh, there's items that you can get in this game, and they're like often one time use to help you out in a, in a fight. And one of them is a pair of pliers. And uh. what it does is when you select it, the, the, your hands pick it up and turn the pliers towards yourself. And there's a crunching sound. And then everything goes blurry for a second. And you get a high whining, like a, a ringing in your ear sound. And then a tooth, a single tooth goes and drops uh, in the opponent's side. So it's, Functionally, it's one point of damage, but it is uh, very viscerally by ripping out one of your own teeth, uh, which is <laughs> just awful. And and they escalate that concept yeah, to something. This might be yeah. Uh, they escalate mm-hmm. that concept to some uh, really gnarly degrees later on. But um, the other one, and this one's way more subtle, but I, it wasn't even like necessarily like creepy but it just when i first i didn't catch it at first but um you run into a lot of different uh uh like bosses and creatures and things um and there's like uh and a lot of it though is you realize 
is the guy you're you're playing is changing masks. Uh and yeah. and like I don't know why that was like so like creepy to me, but it just I was like, oh weird. You know, he's just takes off a mask and puts on another mask and is a different character and then takes off a mask and puts on another mask and is a different character. He talks differently. Yeah. It's just such a good, it has good dialogue and, you know, cool writing. And one thing I'll say is, especially once you get into these characters, like that you start to see over and over again, like the bosses. And we mentioned that some of the cards are also characters that can talk that gets into some of the progression. Um, there is a good sense of humor to this game and it's not yeah. on the surface right away. I think like all good horror things that kind of introduce a humor element, it doesn't um, overpower with you, overpower you with it right away. It's more of the gallows humor, you know, once the kind of despair of the situation is really set in, but um, it is pretty funny and there yeah. are some great moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. So it's not so, all grim. And also, there, like mentioned, Nate, you were talking about the body horror. I also want to tell our listeners, it's not like going to be uh, like super gross, disembowelly crap. The, the the graphics aren't even really like that. It's uh, but it it does. It, there are some very um, upsetting e- elements, but they're not they're not a huge element. No, there's no like. I don't. I hope it don't doesn't. Blood. They are huge. I hope it doesn't put people off. There's not like blood and gore, you know, it's more like, you know, what just happened is more awful than what you actually see. And like, and the sound is so good. Like that tooth pulling. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, pull is very, I I would try to avoid using that even in times where I was like, I really, I could use that extra point. (laughs) But then I have to do the thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's good though. Uh, which is, you know, exactly what it's meant to do, I think. So so I think we're kind of at the end of what we can talk about without uh, rolling over into spoilers. And um, I'm glad we did this as two episodes because the the mechanics of this game are really worth talking about all on their own. This is a this is such a good card game. Uh, you know, it's such a good one of these. And the fact that there's significantly more to it is also amazing. And I'm, I can't wait to talk about everything else there is to talk about with this game in our follow-up episode, which will be coming very soon. So uh, look forward to that. Um, if you uh, if you have uh, played the game, uh, come back and join us uh, for that. That second episode is 100% exclu- exclusively for people who haven't played the game, or excuse me, for ha- who, people who have played the game or potentially uh, are the sorts of people who love spoilers and don't plan to play the game. But I would recommend not being that guy. This is a game that you can get, first of all, on Steam. Uh, it is a Windows-only game at this point. I don't know if they have plans to port it to other platforms. Uh, uh, other games like, I think, Pony Island did eventually come to Mac and Linux. And um, I don't think they, I don't think Daniel Mullins ever ported that to other consoles, but I think to consoles, but I think that Hex, his second game, did come to consoles. This is published by Devolver. They do have a pretty good track record doing ports to everything. When it's gotta, it's gotta go. I think this game would work on, uh, like on Switch. You know, I think I think th- so too. Yeah, this has been such a big hit so far. I-, I would be very surprised if it doesn't end up on other consoles. Yeah. So, um, 
I would recommend watching no additional videos about this game. Just play it. You're going to enjoy it. It is available on Windows on Steam for $19.99. And it is so worth the $19.99, I cannot even say. Like, I, I think this is a great, really, really great game. I recommend it to basically everyone. If you're curious about it, uh, not curious enough to just plunk down. There is a demo. I haven't tried the demo, so I don't know exactly what slice of content or whether it's some, whether it's its own thing. Or you can just go to Daniel Mullins itch.io page and play that uh, the uh, Ludum Dare version of this same thing to get a small taste of the mechanics, but not, as far as I understand, most of the sort of uh, flavor and world surrounding the card game. It's like if you're just curious about the cards and want a sort of a, a you know ca- a, a Ludum Dare version uh, of that, that's also still available, and you can check it out. Um, I want to underscore what you said there about uh, avoiding spoilers. Uh, there is a reason that we are separating this into two episodes and i just think that people really should go in blind on this one i did and i found it to be incredibly cool i would really hate for people to have uh some of the cooler story elements of this game spoiled for you uh we've really been careful about it just dive in and let us Mm -hmm. know what you think yeah yeah yeah. and now you've got we're probably going to release that next week and uh so that'll that'll be our next episode uh one more last thing and i'll be putting out word about this on our various social channels and everything too uh if you're looking at the numbering scheme on these episodes uh episode 300 is like almost here wow 100 episodes what are you gonna do? we did it well uh we had talked about maybe doing a kind of a q a plans right and so i i thought that might be our best bet uh so listeners if you have uh we're we're one possibility for episode 300 is that we're going to do another uh, one of our Q&A type of episodes. Uh, And so if you have questions for us or for the show, we would love to hear them and you can get them to us in any way that you can communicate with us. That is in, you know, Twitter, email, on the discord for our, our, you know, Patreon, uh, Patreon comments or messages, any of those uh, happy to receive your, your thoughts there. But specifically we are looking for questions from you about Anything about the world of games or about us personally, we'll <laughs> we'll do our best uh, about the history of the show, or just questions that you wonder about. If you have dumb or silly questions, we're happy to take those too. Just you know, send us your questions, and uh, we'll do our best to get to all of them. Any so, questions? Uh, we're starting an advice column after this, so you know, let us practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you have questions for us uh, about games we've played about games in general about uh Nate's love life pizzas <laughs> not so much about my love life please <laughs> it's, it'd be really boring answers i'm i'm a happily married dude and i have been for so long that i forget <laughs> what anything else is like wow the, uh, yeah, send those to us uh so oh, um, sick burn yeah, of your uh, wife <laughs> <laughs> This is falling apart. Reagan, get us out of here. <laughs> eject, eject, podcast, eject. Um, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find all of the ways to contact us there. There's a contact page with a with a contact form. So if you want to send us a lengthy question, that's a good way to do it. Or you can email us info at theshortgame.net. That still works. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter too at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? 
on Twitter at NateSTL. Uh, and, uh, oh, I didn't mention uh, explicitly, our podcast is supported by our listeners on Patreon. We very much appreciate all of you listeners that, that support us there. Oh, oh, all of our listeners. We especially appreciate our patrons. Um, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash the short game. Uh, if you support us at even just a dollar a month, you get immediate access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the games we're playing. Shane will be happy to give you inscription uh, tips if you're stuck on the card, you know, the deck building side. He's been pretty good at that with me. Very helpful. Um, and uh, if you uh, want to drop us your questions there, that's another great way to do it. Um, so, oh, and of course, also, uh, if you support us at uh, $5 a month or higher, even just for a little while, if you want to bump us a little extra cash, then I will send you some stickers. And they are great stickers, let me tell you. So, once again, thank you so much to all of our listeners, and uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.